Welcome to Multiverse OQ, your guide to the comic book multiverse. Now on podcast form. I'm Luke. And I'm Devin. And this week we're hitting our... 500th universe. As we're covering... What if Uncle Ben had lived? And... Justice League, the Golden Age. JSA, the Golden Age. Gosh, Devin. It, that was our 20th take, and you just keep messing that up. Uh, thank you, anyone who has uh, been on this journey so far. Because uh, 500 universes is a lot of universes. Oh, yeah. Quite a few. Yes, this week we are covering Earth 8408 and another one of those unnamed Earths. But uh, let's get to What If Spider-Man's Uncle Ben Had Lived first, which is from What If Volume 1, number 46, which was written by Peter Gillis with pencils by Ron Friends, inks by Sam Della Rosa, colors by Bob Sharon, and letters by John Morelli. And so normally, if you're unfamiliar with this show, and also if you're unfamiliar with Spider-Man, Spider-Man goes on here. Yeah, I mean, there have been three origin stories. Well, two yeah. origin. But there's also been numerous TV shows and stuff like that. But in the Marvel Universe, Spider-Man gets his powers and then he decides, oh, I'm going to use these for fame. And when a wrestling promoter refuses to give him all the money that he is owed, uh, Peter then allows a thief to... That's not how it is. You are totally just copying from the movie, Luke. Okay, correct me. Basically, Spider-Man's mad because he can't get paid for a while because he's Spider-Man. And they can't write checks only to Spider-Man, not in cash. That's a problem. Okay, so you, you have corrected me. Bam, look at that. Yep. And actually, most mostly it's just uh, he just thinks that he's too big and famous to actually help. Yeah. But either way, the yeah, either way, the criminal gets away and ends up sneaking into his house by pure coincidence because that first Spider-Man story is pretty much a horror story. Mm-hmm. And Uncle Ben goes down, gets shot, and Spider-Man goes, Uncle Ben. And that's when he realizes he has to use his great powers with a great responsibility. But this universe uh, posits, what if Uncle Ben was super fast asleep so Aunt May went downstairs and got shot? Because Uncle Ben's back doesn't hurt him in this universe. And so Ben has to go and cradle his dead wife in his arms. And so Peter finds out. And as Spider-Man, he goes and catches the burglar. Time passes with the pacing of this comic is really weird because it's also pulling in from a lot of other issues at the time. Uh-huh. So like Harry and some of the other people that Peter knows from school show up. Not and, Harry. Or flat. Sorry. No, well, Harry is there. Harry's not because he doesn't meet Harry until college. Then who's the guy with the weird hair? I'd have to really look it up. It wasn't Harry Osborne. No. That's just some of the generic high school kids. 
one of us has read classic spider-man and the other is me yeah so flash and some friends from school show up flash calls peter pipsqueak and uh then uncle ben is like hey you're an idiot you have nothing beyond being a football star so you should get the hell out of here and stop being mean to peter and flash vows to take revenge and in like 20 years he joins the army and he loses his legs and then whoops comics showed him yeah yeah and ben realizes that peter's taking it really rough because he apparently didn't know that peter didn't have friends who weren't like total assholes to him but uh later on he sees spider-man in the newspaper and when he talks about how Spider-Man is not super great. Peter hears him and gets angry. And then Ben is like, hey, maybe you should work with the Daily Bugle and take photos. And, uh, you know, maybe... Uh, Test that boy to work. Yeah. And maybe old man Jameson is angry about the lack of responsibility going on here. And then, like, without much transition, like, literally two panels later... Ben has found out that Peter is Spider-Man and confronts him when he's like, hey, Peter, could you go take that tablecloth off? And his Spider-Man costume is just laid out on the table. It's like, uh, there's there's like 20 better ways that you could do this, Uncle Ben. Uh, that was a great gotcha moment. Oh, yeah, yeah. But like in terms of let's be adults here and talk about adult Hell no. uh, feelings. Yeah, no. You're going to get uh, stunted on. It was basically and Frank at the intervention. Which Frank? From Sonny. Going to come oh. down on him with a net. Yeah, there's there's a lot of Franks though, Devin. Like I thought you meant like the big head Frank. Oh, from the movie. No. Okay, and so. Like, Ben and Peter talk about how they both ended up feeling powerless. And Ben is like, hey, yeah, you should keep being Spider-Man to protect those people who need protecting. And so he ends up becoming a better Spider-Man because he isn't really fueled by grief and remorse anymore. But J. Jonah Jameson still hates the hell out of him. And this really ripens Uncle Ben's beans. So he goes into Jameson's office and demands to know why... And then Spider-Man bursts into the room as well. And Ben is like, Spider-Man, you settle down for a second. And when Spider-Man does, Jameson is really, really shocked. Which is great, because Jameson's trying to figure out what the hell this relationship is. And then Uncle Ben has Spider-Man reveal that he is actually Peter Parker, entrusting Jameson to the secret. And we get this like fantastic whole page of Jameson trying to figure out what to do. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's great. And he ultimately goes with the goose that laid the golden eggs thing where, you know, you'll keep the goose alive and keep getting the eggs, but you ultimately have the power. And Spider-Man becomes the personal hitman, more or less. Yeah, like they don't really clarify because like Spider-Man's going out and so doing stuff, but I guess he is calling Jameson's people to follow him and to scoop the stories. Mm Mm-hmm. And the rest of the news media, not being idiots, picks up on this almost immediately. And uh, they invite Jameson on one of the TV shows. And Jameson challenges Spider-Man to address the charges that he has. 
And Spider-Man accepts because this is going to mean like really big sales for the paper. And meanwhile, Ms. Brand uh, asks for a advance on her salary. And when Jameson refuses, she ends up not going to Peter t- to uh, specifically ask for it, but she ends up asking him anyways, and Peter gives her the money. Because Peter's like, I'm flush with cash now, and I want everyone to know. Yeah, I could have used a panel or two of it's like, oh, Peter is making a lot of money off of this deal. Well, I also so, kind of assumed that because he's still taking the pictures and yeah, all of that. And he's now wearing a suit. Yes. He's making enough to dress better. This is actually the only part, too, that I thought was weird. Only because we're having him now at the part where he usually dresses when he's in college and flush with cash. Versus more of his high school demeanor, and we're still in high school. Yeah. For a little bit longer. So Jameson wants Spider-Man to look into what Betty Brand is doing with the money, and Jameson threatens to reveal who Spider-Man is if he doesn't comply. And Peter really hates being told what to do. But when he gets home, Uncle Ben tells him to do the exact same thing because Jameson had already called him and he thinks that Betty might be in danger. And so he goes off and mopes for a few more panels until he ultimately decides to go and do it. And that is when he sees Betty getting into a car with Doc Ock and Betty's brother Bennett Brandt. So normally in comics, Bennett Brandt got into debt to the gangster Blackie Glaxton because he's trying to gamble to get money for his mother's medical bills. He ends up getting double-crossed and is fatally shot in Amazing Spider-Man number 11, which part of this story is adapted from. Mm-hmm. Quite a bit of it is. Until he ended up returning in the Rick Remender Venom series, where Venom is Flash Thompson because Flash Thompson lost his legs in the war. And he becomes the big man. So Spider-Man bursts in on the meeting, knocks out Blackie, in this universe, and confronts Doc Ock, who is able to escape because he has eight, well, I guess six arms that allow him to cross over the Atlantic in a matter of hours. Comics. I think Spider-Man just didn't want to get wet. I agree. Well, it's because he doesn't have have good luck when he gets wet. But sometimes he's able to do amazing things when he's wet. It's true. But oftentimes he gets almost drowned. Spider-Man, Spider-Man, his luck's mercurial when he's soggy, Spider-Man. So Betty is grateful, but Spider-Man is angry that he had to risk his life for her because she's practically a criminal. And so he vanishes for a while and becomes a Spider-Hobo and takes to living in the streets until Jameson sends out Patch, who is not Wolverine, because Jameson is threatening to reveal Spider-Man's secret identity unless he comes back. So Spider-Man decides that he has to go off and meet with Jameson, but Patch decides to sell the information that Jameson knows Spider-Man's secret identity to the Green Goblin. He doesn't sell the information. The Goblin was standing there looking. No, that is Patch. No, no, but you see the Goblin floating over their interaction. Let me check that, because I apparently missed that. I ended up getting a brand new Kindle. For Christmas, and it is very nice because I can read comics at a reasonable size. Okay, classic. Haven't gotten there yet. Yeah, this comic is action packed. I like this one. I also really like the size of all the issues in this series. 
with them like all they all seem to be about 40 issues or about 40 pages which i liked because it allows them to kind of flush out the world a bit more mm-hmm. okay yeah i thought that was just like a symbolic one but no it says and silent as a shadow the listening figure flies away well it's kind of like with some of the so. other spider-man stuff that would happen oh, right oh. after when norman finds out because he just kind of tails spider-man okay yeah yeah and i guess all of those are that panel was not laid out well to illustrate that. I, I thought that was Hatch who was thinking all that. Okay, but yeah, no, no, that makes a lot more sense because I thought it was Patch saying, So, Jameson has some sort of hold on Spider-Man. That's a piece of information I can use. Yes, indeed. If the Green Goblin is to become the master of New York's underworld. So I guess Patch doesn't really give a shit about that. Ah, Thank you for correcting me, Devin. You're welcome. He's a company man. He loves his Jada, his Jonah Jameson. Even though Jameson is the one who forced him to go by Patch mm-hmm. just because one day he was wearing elbow patches. And now that's had to become his entire identity. It's like Cooter. Classic Jameson. So Norman Osborne, who is secretly at this point the Green Goblin, now knows that Jameson has the information and tries to get it out of him as Osborne, but it really doesn't go anywhere. And meanwhile, national American hero John Jameson has returned from space, where he was exposed to space spores. Green Goblin bursts in and kidnaps Jonah and warns Spider-Man to meet him or else. Peter's like, I don't really want to do that, screw that. And that's when John Jameson begins growing because of the space spores. So using his enhanced space spore powers, he is able to track the goblin down. And meanwhile, Peter's like, oh, wait, this is literally me doing the same thing that led to Aunt May being killed. Goblin, meanwhile, has hooked Jameson up to a machine that will allow him to get Spider-Man's secret identity out of his mind. But it will also completely destroy the rest of his mind. And that is when space astronaut hero affected by space spores john jameson comes in and he knocks the goblin out but his mind is deteriorating due to space spores and he goes to attack his dad after knocking out the goblin but spider-man is able to stop him and tosses him into the machine which is able to electrocute the space spores out of him jameson is remorseful about what happened and peter's understanding even though Jameson then prints that it was his son, the hero, who was affected by space spores, who ultimately saved him. And Peter is understanding, and it helps that Uncle Ben was around. And apparently this universe did not show up in Spider-Verse. Oh, that's weird. Mm-hmm. But you know where this universe did show up? Where? Trials of the Multiverse? No. On a Christian alternate music album? Where they literally have a song called What If uh, Uncle Ben Didn't Die or whatever the exact name of this is. Oh, it lived. Oh, I did see that actually when I was Googling this issue. Yep. Sound clips that we can legally use. And, uh, yeah. We'll put this on Trials of the Multiverse once we tackle the second story, because the second story is JSA, The Golden Age, which was requested by listener and guest on our highly ranked Christmas special, uh, Andrew Young, a.k.a. British Andrew, a.k.a. Dr. Young, 
aka Young Weasley. That no, I don't think he'd like that. That's name. offensive, Luke. What? Calling him a Young Weasley because he's British, and Young Weasley seems like a good bad rapper name. Is it? Are you saying that it's actually a good rapper name? It's the best rapper name, Luke. Uh, but it was a four-issue Elseworlds story written by James Robinson with art by Paul Martin Smith, colors by Richard Ory, and letters by John Costanza. And <sighs> um, it started off in 1993, which was a reasonable amount of time after Watchmen. But it was before Robinson started his well-loved run on Starman. And at this point, it was mostly, oh, hey, I'm the person before Jeff Johns who just loves the JSA for no particular reason. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's... It is a complicated, not super great story. Yes. Like... It's very much a puzzle box in a bad way where everything ultimately fits together probably too neatly. Agreed. So in the 1940s, there was World War II and the superheroes who were members of groups like the Justice Society of America and the All-Star Squadron uh, weren't really able to fight in the war. And then Hiroshima and Nagasaki got bombed with nuclear bombs and the war ended and... All the soldiers returned home, uh, especially the one superhero who was able to go out into the war, Tex Thompson, a.k.a. Mr. America, a.k.a. the Americamando. Because, you know, you need like 50 different uh, code names. Well, you have your real name, you have your name in the streets, and then you have your name in the streets when you're fighting Nazis. Steve Rogers only needed one. The true American golden boy. I was immediately suspicious of him because he looks like Timothy Dalton in The Rocketeer. Wow. Which came out in, like, 1991. Offensive, Luke. Mm-hmm. Well, did you see that mustache? Yeah. It's 1940s. Everyone had that mustache. Yeah, I guess. But he ends up getting a Congressional Medal of Honor, and he is a big hero. And he was also the only hero in Europe because of the Spear of Destiny. Which, if you wanted to learn more about that... The most recent issue of Big Rock Candy Mountain talks about it a lot, and that series is much better. And if it were something dealing with alternate universes, we could definitely cover that here. Um, yeah, there's a Spear of Destiny, and then there's also Otto Frentz, aka Parsifal, who had the power to negate superhero powers, so they couldn't really send superheroes over until after Parsifal was killed, but that was too late for really any wartime action. And Thompson killed Parsifal towards the end of the war. And we then are exposed to, like, way too many characters really, really fast. Mm-hmm. So there's Manhunter, a.k.a. Paul Kirk, who's being hunted down and who is having dreams of being hunted down. There's Johnny Quick, a.k.a. Johnny Chambers, who is now working as a movie editor, working on a film about the missing superheroes. And he recently separated from his wife, Liberty Bell. There's the Flash, Jay Garrick, who got married, who doesn't really factor into the story at all. There is Hawkman, a.k.a. Carter Hall, who now thinks that he is a reincarnated pharaoh. There is Mr. Terrific, a.k.a. Terry Sloan, who runs an airline. He also doesn't really factor into the story at all. Nope. 
There is Green Lantern Alan Scott, who's running the GBC newspaper. The Red Scare is starting, and he wants to avoid using his ring because... And he doesn't think he should be trusted with it. There is Liberty Bell, a.k.a. Libby Lawrence, who has remarried to Jonathan Law. Who looks exactly like Johnny Quick. Yeah, she has a type. Well, I was very confused when reading that. I was just like, I don't know who that you're hooking up with now. Because it looks like yeah. you're just here hooking up with your husband again, but you guys aren't talking about it. Yep. And then, oh, and, JK, you are with a new guy who just looks identical. And Jonathan Law had been the tarantula when he took up being a superhero for research, and he did a book that was wildly popular, and now he is stuck on writing his next book. And then there is Robot Man, the first one, a.k.a. Robert Crane, who is a human brain and a robot body, and he will happily kill dudes. And so Tex Thompson puts out a call for new heroes after he becomes elected as a senator a few years later. Mm -hmm. Now let's have Luke explain more people to you. So there's the Adam Al Pratt, who is the tiny powerhouse. He's atomically powered, and he volunteers himself for testing, but because his body is atomic, they are unable to use him. There is Fat Man, a.k.a. Bob Daly, who used to be America Commando's sidekick. And his friend has told him to leave him alone. There is our man, Rex Tyler, who developed the Miraclo pill, which is supposed to give him power for an hour, but it's getting weaker and weaker over time. Robot Man ends up getting offered a job by Tex to join this new team that he is joining. Uh, Starman, a.k.a. Ted Knight, uh, is a scientist with manic depressive episodes. Manhunter ends up hiding out with a bunch of hobos. He dreams of some scientists doing something to a bald eagle, and he escapes when armed men come after him. And then Dan the Dynamite, a.k.a. Daniel Dunbar, uh, who lost his mentor TNT and got kicked out of university for not being very good at it, is also offered a job by Tex Thompson. And we get moments of Tex Thompson talking about the dangers of the Russian threat, and he presents his new team... Meanwhile, Liberty Bell and Tarantula's relationship is straining because nobody's really sure why they got married, though I do kind of love their house out in New Mexico. Uh New Mexico is beautiful, and I want to go out there again. And meanwhile, Ted Knight shares his cosmic energy research with Johnny Chambers. Ted is highly distraught because he was involved with the atomic bomb research, and he feels guilty for what happened. A little while later, Alan Scott's friend Charlie Bowles commits suicide because he was under investigation for being a communist. The sportsmaster, Lawrence Kroc, tries to rob a store to get some money, and Alan Scott goes and stops him. And sportsmaster has to run away without getting any money. And Alan Scott gets shot, but he survives, and he's like, hey, that was pretty fun. Johnny Thunder and his Thunderbolt go to talk to the Atom, who doesn't want them to join because... Johnny was always a goofball. Daniel Dunbar goes in for his experiments, and he comes out as Dynaman, who refuses to wear a mask and who really hates communists, and he really, really loves America. Yep. Miss America, a.k.a. Joan Dale, ends up working for Tex Thompson and eventually marrying him. Uh, There's also Captain Triumph, a.k.a. Lance Gallant, who is haunted by his dead brother Michael, Uh, if he and the ghost touch, 
Uh, they gain superpowers, but now he is rich and he is also ignoring his brother. Our man realizes that he is addicted to his pill, and also whenever he gets scared while using it, it affects the chemistry. Tigress, aka Paula Brooks, used to be a supervillain, but Tex Thompson allows her to have full amnesty as she joins his team, and Lance, aka Tri- Captain Triumph, falls in love with her, and he's like, hey, I want to marry this dame. And she's like, I guess he'd be fine in bed for a weekend. And meanwhile, Fat Man has saved Manhunter and offers him a safe place to stay. They get attacked. Manhunter kills them. And meanwhile, Tex Thompson and Daniel, a.k.a. Dynaman, are talking about their plans to rule the world. And Dynaman is snorting a bunch of cocaine. Hell yeah, he is. This... If this is like very hard to read and incoherent this is me trying to summarize the comic best i can because there's not a lot here except a lot yep so more time passes till 1952 when tex plans to run for president starman has his star rod working and he considers committing suicide but he is unable to force himself to do it manhunter is still having those bad bad dreams where he's unable to save the eagle Johnny Quick has his divorce finalized, which is really, really weird because that was one of the things where it's like, I thought you were divorced already, but I guess not. Because sure. Yeah. Green Lantern has more people quitting to avoid the House Un-American Activities Committee, which is the in real life uh, society that or the in real life panel that was looking for communists in Hollywood. Classic McCarthyism. Uh, I think you mean classic Tex Thompsonism. Oh, you're right. Uh, Liberty Bell is now a news reporter, and she reports on Tex Thompson trying to slander the other heroes for not joining in the war like he did, but there is proof against it, and there's people who are like, yeah, no, it wasn't that long ago. We know exactly why they didn't join the war. Tarantula still isn't able to write, Captain Triumph ends up marrying the Tigress, and his brother just wants to fight crime and have sex with prostitutes, which Captain Triumph will not do. Miss America married Tex Thompson and is very suspicious of his diary and his actions. Dynaman is now doing satanic rituals and cocaine, which this book is wild, but also it's very, very boring. Yes. Like... I'm glad I'm not the only one who thought that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Robot Man is sent to kill James Forrestal, who is the guy who denounced Tex Thompson's claim, even though the real James Forrestal died like three years before, and Robot Man just tossed him through a window, and all the newspapers were like, oh, apparently he jumped through this window, and it's like, no, no, that's, uh, no. Come on, Robot Man knows how to make it look like an accident. Yeah. But you want it to be an accident, you call the Robot Man. Robot Man, Robot Man, doing crimes for Tex Thompson. Can he fake a man's death? Yes, he can. And also, Beth's look out. Or probably more, he's just really good with the press. He explodes a man's head. He convinces all of them that it was just spontaneous combustion. Our man is still an addict to his Miraclo pills. Tarantula wants his wife to quit being a newscaster. And he moves to assault her, and she ends up kicking his ass, and she misses her ex. 
Uh, man, Andrews. Johnny Quick wasn't a wife beater. Do you think it was just because he always finished really fast? Probably. So Manhunter is still having dreams, but uh, Fat Man ends up bringing him to Hawkman to help him remember his past. And so Manhunter remembers things like he was friends with Tex. He also went overseas. He killed all the Nazi superheroes. And then he had one last mission and he saw something awful. Meanwhile, Miss America has stolen Tex Thompson's diary and brought it to Captain Triumph and Tigress. And it turns out that Tex Thompson is actually the ultra-humanite in Tex's body. The, like, Golden Age ultra-humanite was not a cool-talking gorilla who reprogrammed a rapping duck. And the secret that the two parties know is... And now this secret that these two different parties know is the reason why Manhunter is becoming the Manhunted. And so Hawkman calls in Johnny Quick, and Green Lantern himself gets summoned to the House on American Activities Committee. And here's the thing, like, if you had just done the Manhunter story, that would have been really good, like a way of dealing with PTSD and, like, government stuff. But then it's like, oh, and also we're going to give the exact same stuff to Miss America. Yep. There's just too, a few too many characters going on. Uh, there's definitely too many fucking characters going on. It's like we, we the six. Yeah. So the gang of people who know the truth try to figure out what to do since Dynaman can easily kill any of them if they try and reveal what happened. And they convince our man to share his miracle formula with the public. And there's going to be also this big event to pledge loyalty in a really fascist way. Because summarizing it sort of downplays the fascism that Tex Thompson is lot is leading everything to. A new superhero shows up wanting to pledge, but he is sent away for the time being since he doesn't even have a name. Miss America goes up to start giving a speech, and she instead reveals that Tex is the ultra-humanite, and Robot Man kills her before she can reveal the secret of Dynaman, which Iron Man is like, oh, hey, you died, but here's the secret. Adolf Hitler is in Dynaman's body. What? <laughs> which is, like... We're going to do this really sort of down-to-earth story with all these superheroes, and then we're going to have a sudden twist that the guy who was snorting cocaine and worshipping Satan was actually Hitler the entire time. Bet you didn't see that coming. Nope. To be fair, I didn't. Yeah, I I, I laughed out loud the first time that it got revealed. So it's like, oh, you're you're going in this direction. Yeah, you you were trying to go for this whole Watchmen tone for a while where there's more than one superhero. And then it's like, oh, now we've turned into the Watchmen babies and V for vacation. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. And so immediately Hitler is revealed and he starts ranting about how blacks and Jews are inferior. And it's like, James Robinson, uh, you could have like in this alternate universe story made any of these superheroes black and instead is just going to be a bunch of white people fighting the guy who thinks the Aryan race is a thing. And that's not a good look. No, it was not. Uh, meanwhile, Green Lantern is under investigation as the fight breaks out. Uh, Tigress attacks Robot Man. Johnny Thunder, who sort of joined Texas team, sends his genie to attack our man, but the Thunderbolt kills itself instead. 
the Adam who was attacking our man explains that he could be trans who was attacking our man has it explained that the reason that he got rejected was because his atomic body would have killed Hitler's brain. And Hitler said that he, that the Adam has been a great Nazi and all the heroes decide to pile on Hitler because there's even more heroes here now. Thompson tries to run, but he is confronted by a fully awakened Manhunter. Captain Triumph, without his powers, tries to attack Robot Man. Hitler has been beating up the heroes. Hawkman charges and gets beaten, but then the new kid shows up. And uh, Johnny Quick also joins in, but both of them get knocked down. Sportsmaster, who were reformed after being stopped by Green Lantern, dies saving a child. And Green Lantern decides that it is time to Green Lantern up. Robot Man reveals that he always knew the truth about Tex Thompson and the secret Hitler. And he and Captain Triumph are electrocuted to death. Liberty Bell finds Johnny Quick and they get to reconcile. Green Lantern faces down Hitler and Johnny Quick realizes that he has to do something. Manhunter and Tex are still fighting. A guard tries to break them up. And so Fat Man tackles the guard, and he gets shot by Tex Thompson. Manhunter pushes Tex, who's still actually the Ultra Humanite, out the window, which kills him. Johnny Quick, meanwhile, grabbed Starman. No, Luke, he jumped out the window. (laughs) That's what the papers will say. Johnny Quick has, meanwhile, grabbed... Well, no, because Robot Man's not there to influence the papers anymore. No, you're right. He's there in spirit. Ghostly beep. Johnny Quick has meanwhile grabbed Starman and Starman's new rod, but he is easily knocked out by Hitler. The uh, mysterious kid shows back up and looks to find, and there's a picture of him taken where it looks like he is just going to murder someone. Like, uh-huh. awfully. I'm not entirely sure that's what picture you want to take. And then Liberty Last takes the broken star rod and impales Hitler with it. And then he is crushed under a bus that he was going to try and kill everybody with. That's how you kill Hitler. Mm-hmm. Oh, everyone knows that. Mm-hmm. Pale him with a rock. And crushed him with the bus. So five years pass. The government has confiscated Tex Thompson's journal and loses it. Starman gets married. And he uh, is generally in a better mindset. Manhunter vanishes somewhere in Kenya. Returns later as Barack Obama. Green Lantern moves on to television and launches a scholarship in honor of Charlie Bowles. Our Man is still Our Manning after all these years. Al Pratt settles down. Johnny Thunder's still a jerk, especially now that he does not have his Thunderbolt. Tigress returned to being a supervillain since her husband died. Liberty Lass and Johnny Quick remarry, but she ends up sticking up for herself more. Joe McCarthy starts targeting communists instead of Tex Thompson. The new Justice Society that Tex Thompson had formed disbands. Probably for the best, especially when they're dead, anyhow. Yeah. And the kid was actually Captain Comet. He becomes a major hero, and other heroes show up too, marking the start of the Silver Age. And now, canonically, Captain Comet was the first human character born with powers alongside Toro and Namor the Submariner. So, instead of being robots or aliens. Or enhanced. Yep. And so that's why they chose Captain Comet to sort of be important. And 
The story is weird because James Robinson ended up going on and incorporating some of the aspects of the story into his Starman run. Was it better? Uh, not really, because there's a lot of stuff that they didn't do. Like, oh, yeah, we almost voted Hitler for president. And it's that problem with nice. trying to change history and also have history stay the same. Dude, you could have had President Hitler. Democratically elected. <laughs> Yeah. But uh, those are our 499th and 500th universes. So are you ready to rank these, Devin? Let's do it. So currently at the top of our list is what if J. Jonah Jameson adopted Spider-Man? And I'll just read the other top 10 because it's been a while. Shazam, the Monster Society of Evil, JLA, Age of Wonder, Punisher Killed Daredevil, Superman Secret Identity, Punisher slash Archie, Marvel 2099, Daredevil End of Days, Spider-Man Loves Mary Jane, and Whatever Happened to the Man of Tomorrow. And then our bottom ten currently are uh, What If Obnoxio the Clown Became a Spider-Man-like Hero? What Oof. If Obnoxio the Clown Became Obnoxio Hulk? Oof. Obnoxio Wolverine, <sighs> Obnoxio Daredevil, <sighs> Obnoxio the Clown gained Superman-like powers. No. Obnoxio the Clown became a Watcher. Oh God. Uh, faux overcomplicated continuity bullshit. Yep. Uh, time limbo, representing the bad parts of Avengers Forever. Uh, Batman dead via Neil Gaiman. Emperor Joker world. And Spidey Baby Universe. Ugh, Spidey Baby. The beast whose name we should not speak. So, where are you feeling the uh, Spider-Man story? Uncle Ben is a higher one. I enjoyed that story. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, a lot of our upper list is made out of uh, Spider-Man stories. You're damn fucking straight it is. How do you feel about it compared to Jameson Wins? Ooh, that's a tough one. I do love Jameson winning. I think it's better. I don't want to put it over DC 1 million. That's fair. So that makes our new number 13, Earth 8408. What if Ant May died? And there's actually another universe that is this exact same premise that I believe it was Greg Rucka who wrote. Oh, really? Yeah. And it's it's phrased differently, and apparently the story is completely different as opposed to what we'll be covering next week. But first, we've got to put on the other one, uh, JSA of the Golden Age. Okay, so in reference to overly complicated stories that are not super great, I don't... It's not as bad as uh, the one that Chris Claremont wrote where uh, Whom Gods Destroy. It's not that bad. No. I like the art. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's Paul Smith art. He does very good stuff. Yeah. Okay. So then I guess we can move that up quite a bit from that bottom. Um, I mean, it wasn't a train wreck. It just wasn't super great. Yeah. Uh, how do you feel about it compared to the Big M, the universe with the evil 
Mimic, who ended up getting reformed because of the exiles. Boo. Fuck Mimic. That so, makes this better. Uh, Dr. X-Men. Dr. X-Men are better. So our new number 356 is Earth. Mark. We elect uh, I'll just put JSA for Golden Age. That's for the best, Luke. You'll put on a smug title, and then in like a week we'll forget what it meant. Yeah, that's why I just put on JSA for Golden Age. And then we have three questions. I've just got to find where I put my phone. Oh, there it is. One of them is already answered. <sighs> yeah, but we haven't answered it on here. So, frequent question asker... Patreon supporter and another guest on our Christmas special wants to know, uh, oh, Xavier Files wants to know, is there any reason to ever bring Uncle Ben back to life? No, 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 no. Easily answered. When he comes back temporarily, it's okay. Like they had that in Amazing Spider-Man number 500 when... Oh, the birthday present that uh, that Doctor Strange gives Spider-Man is he gives him, like, a half hour to talk to Uncle Ben. That was well done. And, oh, the big reveal in Spider-Verse when one of the Spider-Mans is Uncle Ben. That was a good reveal. But canonically Uncle Ben, no, because that's the entire reason that Peter Parker is Spider-Man, which is one of the big issues with Spider-Man 3 when they basically take the blame away from Peter. Hmm. What if they did a universe where the promoter gets shot like in front of Spider-Man and like Spider-Man ends up stopping him after that and then like things go on from that point. That'd be interesting because it's like then you'd have the guilt but it's not as intense and all of a sudden like Peter's baby indicted or Peter's also found suspicious. That'd be good. Uh-huh. Uh, what if call me Marvel? Or, well, no, I can't make it with that new Marvel app that they have coming up because that would have a murder and gambling. Andrew Young, who is at AW Young 1991, who is also on our Christmas special and who suggested that we read JSA of the Golden Age. Damn you, Andrew. Wants to know, if you could have any superhero story set in any non-present day time period, what would it be? Any present superhero set in a non-present time? Mm-mm. Like, who do you think would be more interesting or better in a different time period? Um, Booster Gold. I want him to go back further. Like, when they think that he's scary and, like, a witch. I'd like to see a Frankenstein story where he starts off in normal Frankenstein times, but then all the other superheroes in the world also exist in weird, like, 1800s versions, or whenever that story was written. Yes. Frankenstein was written. It's late 1800s, like. Yep, 1818. Yep, because those Marvel Frankenstein comics are pretty good. And then uh, Michael, who's at Not Really Robot, wants to know, if Aunt May died instead, would Peter still be Spider-Man? Also, is Aunt May the most annoying person in comics? Well, we saw the exact same. We saw the story for that first one, which is, yes, Peter is still Spider-Man. Maybe even a better Spider-Man. Agreed. And... Uh, Aunt May is not the most annoying person in comics. Aunt May is phenomenal. Michael B., this is a shameful question. You're getting shamed. 
It may is great. 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 Especially once they stop making her like just so decrepit and old. Dan Slot's done a lot of good stuff with her recently. Straczynski, Straczynski did a lot of great stuff with her. Ultimate Aunt May's great. Mm-hmm. And the second and third iterations of movie Aunt May were great. Mm-hmm. Well, basically the big problem is they need to make her Aunt May instead of like great-grandma May. Because mm-hmm. then she can actually like do something other than just, I'm old. I'm old. Yeah, so that pretty much wraps us up for this week. Multiversal Q is a weekly podcast. We are getting you these episodes every week for free. Though if you do want to support us, we have a Patreon for where for as little as $1 a month you get, uh, well, you get early episodes of our other podcasts. And then when we get around to doing bonus episodes that I remember to put up and edit, uh, you also get those for free. We also have our spinoff podcast, Exiled, which is a role-playing game live play podcast inspired by the Exiles comic series, where we've pretty much broken all of those Marvel rules for that app thing that they have coming out, Mm -hmm. because it's weird. I'll find a way to work in some of the other ones. And uh, for those of you listening this week, Dr. Nemesis has his origin special, which retcons what he had said the first time he appeared. So good times for everybody. Devin. Yeah. Where can people find you online? You can find me online at Fred of Fit. That's F-R-E-D-D-O-F-E-T-T. Luke, where can people find you? You can find me online at at Coltrek. That's K-O-L-T-R-E-G or at Luke here, L-U-K-E-H-E-R-R.com. Uh, make sure to visit us on our website where we have image galleries. We are also posting all of our show notes to help with that sweet, sweet SEO magic. And I'll be adding those over time. Devin, I know you don't know what we're uh, covering next week. Am I correct? Probably true. We're covering two iterations of the exact same what if story as we start our very special holiday or our very, as we start our very monthly as we start our very special monthly holiday, shit, as we start our very special month-long event in January, as we cover universes related to Jean Grey. We might even have a special guest. <gasps> so until then, we'll see you later, and this one's for Hank. Hank.